Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Bowie, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering. What a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Good morning. This is Elise Bowie with the Maximum Mom Podcast. And today I am here with Jennifer Hargrave. She is a family law attorney in Texas, has her own family law firm, also has a family of her own. And I cannot wait to dive into today. Jennifer, welcome. I'm so glad you joined me today. Thank you so much for having me, Elise. It's always a great time to have a conversation with you. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love our ability to connect. I mean, I have to just put out there, Jennifer and I did not know each other personally until recently. We met in Seattle, actually at a restaurant. We enjoyed dinner with Jennifer's husband in her office, like the integrator in her office, as well as my husband. And I literally felt like, Jennifer, I've known you forever. I felt the same, Elise. It's just, yeah, you're like my spirit animal. I I really enjoy our conversations. I know. It was so, my husband was just like, I can't believe you didn't know each other before today. I was like, I know. I said, but I knew she was my spirit animal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell us a little bit about who makes you a family. I always like to know, you know, who's in your home. I love that question. So um, I am married to Jeffrey Hargrave. And together we have three children. We have William, who uh, just turned 21, and he's in college in Tennessee. I have Weston, who's a senior in high school, and he just finished his varsity season as a cheerleader. He's the only male cheerleader on the on the squad, and he's having the time of his life. Yeah. And then I have Evelyn, who is 13. She's going to be 14 tomorrow. So we are in the thick of all things fun when it comes to teenage years. We're oh, yeah. <laughs> juggling all of that. I also have HIPAA, who is my 150 pound English Mastiff. And I have Claire, who is the meanest cat in the world. So I would not be a cat person if <laughs> she'd been my only cat. But we love her. Gosh, that's hilarious. I'm going to have to learn more about Claire. Who knew you had a mean cat? (laughs) Very mean cat. (laughs) That's hilarious. Well, I really wanted to talk to you about a few things today, because as you and I have talked, I mean, we are kind of older moms. I I think I'm definitely older than you. So I'm going to just put myself in the older category. (laughs) But, you know, having raised children and gotten them to these, you know, teen years and some beyond, I mean, it is such a different ball game. I think, in parenting when we're talking about parents with, you know, itty bitties or middle school kids, when we're dealing with the teen years, I mean, it is just a whole different ball game, don't you think? It is such a different ball game. You know, one of the things that struck me as we sort of transitioned out of early childhood, you know, where we'd have our mom's groups, we'd all get together, we'd talk about, you know, potty training tactics and who's sleeping through the night and, you know, discipline and all that. And then you kind of move into the teenage years and like, everybody kind of goes off into their own corners and nobody's coming out and 
talking about the first time they learned their kids smoked a joint or, you know, all the trouble they're getting into. Like those are just things that are hard to share. And I think that's one of the things that makes parenting teens a little bit of a challenge is that, you know, they're like, it's not easy. (laughs) You know, I love that you mentioned that. I mean, I actually 100% agree with you, like 150%. And interestingly, When mine were younger, so I had a son, he's now, I don't know exactly how old he is, I'd have to think a minute, but like 24, I think. So when he was in high school, he was definitely my son who gave me, you know, absolute run for my money. And so we had a network of moms and we all had these boys, they were all friends, all played football all giving us, you know, some, a run for our money. (laughs) We literally became this trio of moms who, I mean, we were on the phone Friday night. I mean, literally it was like this thing. I mean, from 10 PM Friday night to like, you know, 2 AM when they are getting home or whatever, we're all figuring out like, you know, well, where are they? Who's driving? Who's this, you know, all this communication. And it was a big joke because one of them, he would get lost all the time. So his mom would call and she'd be like, Elise, where's my son? And I'd be like, hold on, I'll go find out. You know, And Ian yeah. would always know where he was. And it was this just total joke. But I mean, without that support network, there's no way I would have made it through those high school years. No way. Well, you're I mean, so blessed because, oh, you know, yes. I, I mean, I still have friends and had friends during that period of time, but you know, maybe it's just the the environment that we're in or also it varies per kid. Like I have, I don't have the same connections with other parents. I do with all three of the kids and, um, and that communication could be really challenging. And I, I just remember I got a phone call, literally like the smoke a joint thing was a real thing. And I, you know, I was driving home and a mom called me and she said, Jennifer, there were a group of us and we were all talking about your son and somebody mentioned this. I just thought somebody needs to call Jennifer. I'm like, well, thank you. Yeah. Somebody needs to call Jennifer. Cause you know what? I will tell you, I'm a mom who wants to know if you catch my kid doing stupid stuff, like tell me, let me know, you know, Totally. and I like, I want to know, but I feel like these days you just don't know. Some parents can be so defensive of their kids. Um, and, And I just, you know, I think, a little humility, a little curiosity, a little like what, you know, I want to know what's going on. I can't be reading all of their messages all no, the time. Of course um, not. So if you're scrolling through some messages and you see something concerning, please call me. So there's Absolutely. my, there's my ploy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's a, it is really valid. And I think the idea too, I really am concerned about the idea that parents feel like they have to put on this air of having it all together. Like somehow their kids aren't doing stupid things. I mean, (laughs) literally I could write, I mean, an encyclopedia Britannica on my kids, stupid antics, you know, like (laughs) hardcore voluminous with details, pictures, you know, speeding tickets, interactions with police, hospitals. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. All and it, the things. And really, these are things that can connect us when we're willing to share that part of our lives, when we're willing to get vulnerable. And, you know, these days, mental health is such a huge issue. And so many of these kids are dealing 
with, you know, depression and all the pressures. And it is a different time. I mean, there are certainly things that are similar to when you and I were teenagers, but they have, they, there are different pressures on them these days. Oh, and you know, I just, I love the kids who are in my life. I love other people's kids. And, you know, we just, we want to be able to share and communicate and have conversations that help support them as they navigate this period of time. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's something we have to really think about too, as parents and you luckily, you know, you still have some young kids at home and how do you develop those networks with other parents, you know, as they do come into high school, because it is different. I mean, the whole world is different now where, I mean, you're not even interacting as much. I mean, you might be, you're in Texas, we're in Washington. (laughs) It's different. Right. No, pandemic. There's no pandemic here. I know. I know. It just moved here. Obviously, we're just having the pandemic for the country. But um, it but it is really different. And just the whole idea of not being around, not being in playgroups when they're young. I mean, it makes such a difference to be able to develop that rapport, though. So people know. And I think that was so key, at least in our group. I mean, there was no pretense about anything. We all knew what these boys were doing. We all knew what they were all capable of. You know what I mean? Like we were pretty, I mean, we found it kind of humorous. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, you know, they were going to do what they were going to do, whether we were clued in and friendly with each other or not. So we kind of decided, you know, this is a really good thing for us to be so connected and to know. And I mean, it made a world of difference. And it also opened up that line of communication with the kids. I mean, you know, it was a pretty big joke. I mean, they would call me and be like, okay, what did Ian tell you about whatever? Because he was very open about Things. You had the talker. I didn't have the talker. I I mean, I still like now my kids like I had good interrogation skills. I'll get them to talk, but you know, they don't voluntarily share information. And so it's hard when you're like the only one who doesn't know. No, you got to find the talker, find the talker in the group and hook up with their mom. That is your best bet. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Well, I wanted to talk to you also about, I mean, when we think of you know, parenting, and I know you have experienced the same thing. As you parent your children, as they get older, you know, when they're not quite as cute and adoring and unconditionally loving, you know, like when they get older and they tend to really point out, I mean, some of our our real problems and flaws or, you know, shortcomings. I mean, how have you dealt with that? Where do you want me to start? I don't know. I mean, I tell you what, I've got a whole lot of judgment in my house right now. Yeah, it's, you know, it's challenging. Look, I, I love these kids. I mean, you know, I know I had it too in my relationship with my mom. I remember looking at my mom and just thinking, oh my God, like who would want to hang out with you? Right. And so that's just coming back to me. It's okay. It's cool. And I, I always, I I was telling you, you know, the teenage years are just not good for the self-esteem, but fortunately I have other things in my life that do fill me up. And so, you know, knowing that turning to my children for self-esteem is not, is not a good strategy anyway, to begin with, you know, I like to have a really good sense of humor about this and really to look at it with a lot of curiosity. And, you know, sometimes they're pointing out things that 
you know, I have an opportunity to reflect on. I wasn't even aware that I carried around this judgment that I didn't know I had. And they've just reflected back to me that I'm super judgy about everything. And okay, I mean, maybe I kind of am and I need to peel that back and look at it. And, you know, it is an opportunity for growth. Parenting teenage years is probably, if, if you look at it as an opportunity, it's probably one of the best opportunities you'll ever have to really do some personal introspection. Absolutely. And growth. And, you know, that's with a good sense of humor and just looking for those moments of connection with my kid. You know, that's the most valuable thing in the midst of all the hubbub and noise and the frustration because I just did another weekend of like 10 loads of freaking laundry and half of it was clean. And I know that because some of the stuff I was pulling out still had tags on it. Like, why is this in the laundry? Because you were, you know, you're just throwing everything in the laundry. And I know there are other ways to deal with that. I've I've listened to some of your podcasts. I just didn't implement it well. And so I had a weekend of overload. But, you know, when we can kind of quiet all that noise and really get to the core of who they are and what's going on and, and nurturing that connection that will, you know, hopefully build that relationship into the future on the other side of this. And that's um, my, my hope and my, my vision. <laughs> well, I think it's the only one and it makes all the sense in the world and it does work. I mean, speaking from somebody who has now several kids on that other side, you know, like post 25, where they're actually regular humans with, I mean, they're fun to be around. They're nice. They, you know, say nice things to me, like every time I talk to them and I'm like, whoa, who are you? (laughs) Yeah. It's a really different world. And I think you make such a great point about the connection. I mean, it's all we really have, you know, like we can try to help guide them in all the different ways we try, like with schoolwork and extracurricular and being nice people and finding their passion in the world and, you know, cleaning up after themselves and all those things. But I mean, some of it takes and some of it doesn't take, you know? And, you know, the bend that has to happen is when they're little, you know, you are responsible for everything and everything they do reflects on you, right? So of course, you you know, like all the cute little outfits around the holidays and, and just like the, the pressure to kind of manage all of that. But you realize as they turn the corner through adolescence and into teen years is that they are hardwired to be their own expression <laughs> and it is yep. going to be different. That's what that whole, this whole period of time is about is like, you know, moving away from you and coming up with their own and exploring their own and to respect that process and not feel threatened by it. Right. I mean, you know, there are lots of conversations we have where I was raised with, you know, a lot of the idea was that this is how we believe as a family. And if you varied from that, I didn't get that Mm -hmm. from my dad. I got it more from my mom. But if you varied from that, like, you know, there was shame um, associated with those other beliefs. And so to really not bring that into my parenting, to be able to let go of that and know it's okay. They get to try on different hats. They get to try to be different people and explore different things. And I've poured into them everything I can pour into them and still continue to do, but it just doesn't soak in anymore. But just trust that they're going to, you know, they get to figure this stuff out and figure out who they're going to be and what their own expression in the world is going to be. And there's nothing better to really see them, you know, than to watch them kind of blossom into that. Oh, I think it's so powerful. I mean, I have found it, you know, with all our different children, 
I mean, just so powerful. And when they're able to really put their voice to it has been, I mean, I had a son when he was a freshman, just literally tell me like, you know, mom, I know you think like, you know, we all are going to do certain things like go to good schools, go to college, go to graduate school. He's like, I don't know that I'm really into that. He was like, I'm going to just be the best lineman in the state of Washington. And then I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. And I was like, oh, okay. And But I mean, here's this 14 year old kid like telling me like what he perceived to be my vision was not his vision. And I was just like, well, good on you, because I mean, doing something for me is surely not going to be helpful for you later on. So I had to get there, Elise, because I mean, both of my boys and I'm preparing for my daughter to go through this, too. I don't know if it's a boy thing or just a girl thing, but, you know, obviously we value education, you know got a lot of degree. And so like my, yes, my vision is you all go on to college and that's it. And with both my boys, they both ha- came and said like, I, I don't think it's for me. And you know, the first one, when he went through that, I had such a triggered reaction. Like I was so angry. Mm. Well, I got news. If you're parenting a teenager, your anger isn't going to change their mind. If anything, it's going to like push them in the other direction. Right. For sure. So, I mean, I really had to self-check in. That was my opportunity for growth and realize, okay, that's exactly right. It's my life plan. And I don't, I I get to live my life. I'm living my dream life. Like y'all get to go live your dream lives. And hundred percent. Oh, that oldest yeah. one did end up going to college. So it, because he is such a college guy, like it just drove me crazy. The idea of him not, but my other, my middle son, you know, he's very different and, you know, I get it. Like there are, there are lots of opportunities available. Not everybody has to go to college. And I, I really had to learn that and get okay with that. And it is, it's totally okay. Oh yeah, completely. Oh yeah, it is. I think that's great, though, that you were able to step back and really see kind of your anger for what it was as, you know, that really isn't on him. You know what I mean? Like, No, it's mine. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, like we do have a pretty I mean, we expect our kids to either be in school post high school or they're supporting themselves. Like we don't support anybody post high school unless they're in college. But, you know, if they're not in college, they totally can get a job and do whatever they want to do. I mean, and that's fine. But don't think you're living on my sofa because that's not exactly. No, no, no. I'm I'm with you 110 percent on that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard in and of itself. I find just to put down some of those boundaries around what am I going to be okay with when they are adults? Because you made a comment earlier and I wanted to say something to you. You mentioned when the kids are little, you're responsible for them. And it's interesting because as they get older, we actually become responsible to them, not for them. And that is such a huge distinction. I think that parents, especially moms, really have to make in raising children is that there is a point in time where your responsibility shifts and it becomes a very different responsibility. And I think part of that responsibility to your children is having solid boundaries and that are, you know, reasonable, respectful within your value system or whatever and communicated so that the children do know like what you are and are not 
going to be okay with. And that exactly, it's just a boundary and helping them learn to create their own boundaries. That's exactly right. Right. So that respect goes two ways. And so those boundaries are super healthy. I was going to say, you know, I say something similar, which is the, you know, as a young parent, you just, your job is to protect your children. Like when they're little, you got to make sure they don't run out of the street and make sure they're fed all of that. Right. But we really, our job as they grow is to transition into preparing them. So we're no longer protecting because I can't, what I, what I realized with my oldest son was that he is the agent in his life. He gets to be the decision maker. And if he wanted to put his life in a ditch, he was fully equipped to do that. And there was nothing I could do to stop it. Didn't mean I wouldn't try. But, you know, really, how do we, I, but I can't, I can't protect them. I can't be there all the time. And so how do we prepare them to be the good decision makers and to take part of that is taking responsibility for their own life, their own actions and well, not and insulating really, them. Completely. I mean, I said something to um, somebody the other day who has kind of younger children, but she was asking me a direct question about, you know, allowing your child to fail. And I mean, to me, It is critical as a parent, starting when they're young, allowing them to fail, moving out of the way and not, you know, stepping in for everything that's going to happen because the stakes are low when they're young and their failures are just, it doesn't matter that they got a bad grade in fourth grade or whatever. Like you don't need to step into that, but teaching them how to both advocate for themselves and teaching them how to do a risk benefit analysis when they're making their decisions to me is, I mean, the best part of why I was an insurance defense litigator was just learning (laughs) the risk benefit analysis so thoroughly that, I mean, my children literally as like four and five-year-olds would talk about, well, that seems risky mom. And I was like, yeah, I agree with you. (laughs) That seems too risky, but I love it. Helping them learn that. And I mean, once they're teenagers and young adults, I mean, I've watched my children pencil out, you know, parties that they're renting houses and inviting all kinds of kids to, and they are literally doing a risk benefit analysis. And I'm like, yeah, you go do this stupid thing after you've analyzed it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And the mail. if you need some help on some potential risks associated with that activity, I'm happy to help you brainstorm some ideas on that one. Yeah. I but know. I mean, it's really an important skill because like you say, these kids are completely equipped to land themselves anywhere. And we have to teach them as best as possible how to make those decisions. And then in my mind, how to deal with the natural consequences on the back end. Well, and isn't that where resiliency is developed then? Because yeah. you live through the consequences of your action. And oh, yeah. by the way, you you learn how that you can survive tough situations. Yeah. I mean, you know, I get it. I, I would love that if my children never had to have a heartbreak. But you know what? They are going to have heartbreaks. Yeah. And we talk sure. about that. I'm like, you know what? You're going to get dumped. Right. And it's like not, it's probably, it's going to be like the best thing and I'm going to be cheering for it. But no, but you know, I mean, like the, every relationship isn't going to work out, but that's the right. normal part of life. Like absolutely talking through those things so that when the bad stuff happens, like it's okay. You've got everything you need to like get through this because bad stuff happens in life. To everybody all the time. I mean, it's just part of life. Like I barely even call it bad stuff anymore. Like it's just the ebb and flow of your life. Yeah. 
The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. Interestingly, my oldest daughter, she had a flood recently in her apartment. I mean, out of nowhere, you know, somebody broke a sprinkler. Her entire apartment was completely flooded. And she literally reached out as part of the chaos she was dealing with. She's like, who knew Hurricane Katrina was coming in so handy? I knew exactly what to get out of this apartment. (laughs) And I was just like, well, there you go. There you go. Gotta love when (laughs) resiliency pops its head. And, you know, but she really, she just knew, okay, we take anything that we can't replace the rest of it. You know, we don't worry about we're, yeah, we focus on the stuff that is irreplaceable. And I just thought, I love this when something that conceivably and to a lot of people seems horrible for a child to go through hurricane Katrina. I mean, you know, she's able to really utilize what she learned in that and see the positive in it. And I thought that was really positive. Yeah, for sure. There's so, there's so much good that comes out of hard stuff. And, you know, you and I are both working with families in the middle of these transitions. And I, I always tell my clients, you know, this is an opportunity for you to show your children the toolbox of like, when life doesn't go as planned, where do you go? You know, you have a community of support, you have faith, you have whatever those tools are that help you navigate that, you know, your children are going to watch you do this and they're going to have to watch you come out on the other side. And, you know, that's that's life. It is life. And I have to say, knowing what you've been through over the last (laughs) few months, losing your mom, I mean, Jennifer's mom was diagnosed and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she passed away within four or five months of the diagnosis. Was four months from date of diagnosis to date of death, almost to the day. Yeah. So I mean, talk about somebody whose children have been watching how (laughs) you deal with something. Well, fortunately, I had a good teacher (laughs) with my mom, (laughs) you know, and we talked about that a lot. But yeah, she was vibrant, healthy, still working, hadn't retired because she was doing her life work, which was her great passion and love and um, amazing life and such an amazing resource for me. I mean, I couldn't be the attorney I am today if it hadn't been for all of her help through the years. You know, my biggest cheerleader for sure. And yeah, she was diagnosed right after the ice storm in Texas. So we came out of the ice storm. She had a doctor's appointment during the ice storm that got postponed and learned that she had a mass on her lungs. And, you know, all of the things we just, we did all the things and um, it was, you know, it was her time, but we didn't really know that until two weeks before her death, she had just started a round of chemotherapy. And so we were all still filled with hope and optimism that, you know, this is going to, this is going to be it. She had like VA team. Um, If you have to have lung cancer, I mean, the team here at UT Southwestern and Dallas, people fly in all over and here we Mm -hmm. had them right in our backyard. So we, we were just filled with hope that she would be cured. And then it, it became very clear very quickly when she began treatment that she was not. And so she made the decision to go into hospice care, which was amazing. I had no idea. 
I had no idea that this hospice place even existed in our community. And then oh. she went there and it was, it was so beautiful. It was a profound, I say those 12 days with her, were just living in love. They were really right. beautiful period of time. And I'm so thankful to have had that time with her when her mom died her mom died suddenly and there were no goodbyes. There were, there were no, you know, the closures. I know you had something similar where it just Mm -hmm. happened so fast. So we did, we had time and it was really a beautiful, a beautiful thing to witness, but it happened so fast. And, you know, I'm still living with kind of a surrealness of, is she really gone? (laughs) Right. You know, she was such an integral part of my day-to-day life. So yeah. What a powerful, I mean, a powerful situation for your children to watch. I mean, I know Mm -hmm. I got to just see from afar as you would post some things and it was just so beautiful. And I mean, I know there are many of us that were like always waiting for your updates about (laughs) how you were doing and what different things your kids were doing, you know, coming in and doing different things with your mom. And I mean, but so powerful for your children to see both the love between you and your mom, but also how you're handling it. I mean, because talk about a major life event. Yeah. And, and it certainly is a major life event from them too, because she was yeah. so bonded with them and they have their, they're dealing with their own loss and their totally. own grief, you know, and to be present with that. But they were amazing. I mean, how blessed we were to be in the same city with them, that yeah. they were all home, right? They had just all come home. So right. Wes and my middle son had been away at military school for a year and he just came home and my son from college was home and they were phenomenal. And the boys were just you know, just amazing. And then Evelyn and my niece were singing songs in the hospice unit. They were writing songs for her and singing. And we had other, other, the nurses would come in and tell us that people were asking if there were angels in the stairwell, because they were just, they were practicing their songs in the stairwell. It was really, it was really sweet time. And, you know, we got to know other families during that time. It was really, you know, there was so much about it that was lovely. And when it all started, I remember, you know, knowing that in the midst of every crisis, there's opportunity and I can focus on the loss. I can focus on everything bad that's happening, or I can focus on the beauty. And I really was very intentional about, I'm going to focus on the beauty. And it was, it was there. I love that. And it reminds me so much. Like I told you, my mom did die very suddenly. She had a fall and we all thought she'd be fine. No big deal. The doctors all Mm. said she's fine. Well, it turns out they had missed like internal bleeding. So, I mean, I get called, I'm at a lacrosse game with one of my kids. I get called and told, you know, your mom is like absolutely going downhill. She's being put in ICU. And I was, you know, so we rushed back to the hospital and I got there as they're literally wheeling her into the ICU. And she looks out the window and she turns to me. She's like, Elise, do you see all those beautiful flowers? And I was like, I do mom. She's like, I love this room. And the doctor literally, when he took me out to tell me that every single one of her organs was failing and that she was going to die like imminently. He said, I have never in all my years had somebody comment about the beauty of the ICU. And he was like, like, your mom is very unique. And I was like, she is, she is definitely, she was the most amazing human at being able kind of like you did so intentionally to see the beauty and the joy around her. She never focused on the negative things. And she managed to, you know, see the flowers and my mom being the good horticulturist that she was, (laughs) she 
proceeded to tell me what I was looking at because I never knew what I was looking at. But I mean, and then, you know, she was gone within two hours. And wow. Um, yeah, it was pretty wild. But I mean, I'll never forget that. And like, that might sound silly to somebody who hasn't gone through like a death, having that be kind of like my mom's last gift, you know, to mm. me and my kids, you know, as she's t- talking to us about the beauty around her in the hospital room. I mean, cause that my children still find that to be so interesting that, you know, that's what their grandma focused on, you yeah. know, rather than the fact that she was not going to make it. Yeah, it's really, that is such a beautiful gift. Just that, just that point of reference. Yeah. And you know, what a legacy to leave behind for your cho- your children too, right? I mean, that totally. that's something that they talk about and they've seen happen. And yeah, I mean, I think this was really an occasion where, you know, I'm so thankful our kids were a part of absolutely of walking through that journey with us. You know, it's I'm still processing it, right? Oh, like yeah. I don't I don't know the missing yet. We're heading into the holidays, and I'm just right. I'm just beginning to know, right? Like what right. what will it mean to not have her there for all of that? So then I get teary eyed. So, um, oh. but it's you know well. Grief is just such the nor it's the most normal part of life. It is. And it's and- it's its own journey. I mean, you know, and you know that you have to give yourself so much grace and space and love to go through all the grief because it's gonna come up. I mean, in pretty inopportune moments. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it does. And yeah, you know, the one thing that was really interesting that I've just been really aware of is, you know, you just sort of notice things about the process was that I lived in fear of losing yeah. my parents my entire mm-hmm. life. Oh, wow. And from the time I was little, I not, not like debilitating fear, but it just was something like, you know, you know, it's going to happen someday and you just don't, you don't want it to happen. And, you know, now that we've like, we've gone through it and we're on the other side of that, there's, there's some sense of like, okay, you know, life does go on in the midst of things. You know, somebody said to me, you know, oh, it's so traumatic. And I'm like, no, it's not traumatic. It's sad, you know, but you know, it's good. You know, you're going to lose your parents someday. Right. There are other things in life that that are traumatic. I think like the loss of a child or something, you know, right. horrible that that really does, you know, throw a huge curveball. But this was a curveball that we didn't know it was coming. Right. You know, we didn't have that long to to deal with it. But but we we get through it and I feel her love and presence every day. It's just experiencing it in a very different way. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that was a real struggle for me, and it it really did take me about two years to kind of get past this. I used to call my mom every single day when I was driving home or to work. Like we just talked every single day in some context. And some of it was like annoying, you know, because sometimes she would call me and be like, I need you to go. She had a rule about raisin bran. You could buy raisin bran, like Kellogg's raisin bran, but obviously that didn't have enough raisins. So she wanted special raisins from a different store. So she'd be like, at least if you could stop and get up, get my raisin. I'm like, mom, I've got four kids. I'm an attorney. I cannot really stop every day and get you all these things. But, you know, we would do some crazy things to keep my mom happy. But those calls just, I didn't realize how truly grounding they were to me, you know, like to be able to just check in with her. And like I said, sometimes I was annoyed, but most of the time we would laugh about things and I could tell her, you know, about whatever random antics the kids were doing. And I don't know, she just helped me get through 
my day-to-day world. And that was a real void, you know, not having that camaraderie. That camaraderie and that friendship, Um, you know, especially, well, I think of it where I miss, where I'm missing her most right now is like when the kids, you know, they, the accomplishments or just, or the challenges, right? So, you know, when I've got the eye rolls coming from the teenager, it was really nice to have, you know, the friendship of my mother over here. And so just kind of, missing that part of it, but it's okay. You know, I mean, we're, um, my dad's getting a lot of phone calls from me now, so that's fun. Uh, it's <laughs> getting to, <laughs> I'm sending him all the pictures I would have sent my mom and oh, we're, that's we're enjoying that, uh, relationship right. with my dad is, you know, kind that's of, awesome. It, it's well, fun. yeah, I just, I think it is so important that we can normalize the grief and normalize how messy it can be, because I do think sometimes people try to keep it all buttoned up and all tidy and it just doesn't always work like that. I mean, I, no. I think I had a few breakdowns actually in the court. I mean, where I would start crying about something and obviously nobody did anything or, you know what I mean? It's just some random thought and I would just, tears would start rolling out and I'm like, oh, come on, Elise. Like you have got I know. to get it always makes together. me What makes me tear up and it's, it, you know, tears are just so freaking messy and they're uncomfortable. And it's like, golly, this is just so annoying. I so don't want to be crying in front of you. But you know, when somebody comes alongside, they're like, how are you? And I'm like, well, I was fine until now that you ask, (laughs) you know, let me have that moment. Let me just connect. But it's it's embarrassing. And it's again, it's so human, but I don't know why, why are those things embarrassing? It is. I, I would just had it happen this weekend where, you know, I was with a bunch of people, they, we're, oh, we just miss your mom. Like, yeah, thanks. Me too. It's okay. Well, and it's, it really, you know, ideally it wouldn't be embarrassing. You know what I mean? Like, ideally we could all just be okay with it because I do think it just happens. And I have to say, one of the things that became really striking to me was it was obvious once my mom died, who was around me who had similarly experienced such a, mm. a, a loss. Right. You know, because there's a real difference, I think, when you're around somebody who has kind of had a similar type, you know, really big loss, they do get it in a way. And sometimes, you know, they also understand, like you're talking about that embarrassment, and they'll try to like, you know, steer you away from that to try to help, you know, because a lot of times I think people realize just how raw it is. I just didn't realize how raw those emotions sat just barely under the surface. And I mean, months and months later, I was like, what is the matter with me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, they are, they're very much there. I mean, yeah. I, you know, the other day I, I pulled in somewhere parked and I just like sat there and cried and, right. you know, that freedom of just like when, cause that's a, a commitment I made my, to myself is when I do feel it. I, I mean, I, I allow myself to just feel it right. Yeah. We're busy people oh. and there's not, I don't have like scheduled on my calendar. Okay. You're going to feel now. Um, <laughs> but maybe I should. I was going to say that's probably a good idea. Probably a good idea. But the feelings come when they come and you just right. lean into them. And there's a sweetness in the, in the grief too. There's a, yeah. I was afraid of it. Um, and I'm not, I don't really live in fear of it right now. When the, when that period comes of missing, I just kind of, 
you know, what am I missing? I'm missing how she smelled. I'm missing how she talked, you know, like all of that is just right there. And now here I am getting messy. It's okay. But I mean, she was your biggest cheerleader and talk about a time when you need a cheerleader, when you got the high rolling (laughs) teenager. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So anyway, well, we're doing okay. And you learn, you learn to just integrate her presence in all different ways. And I definitely, you know, feel her with me every single day. So we always started off the day with Jesus calling. That was a little meditation that she did. And so I, I, am continuing to do that because, you know, I feel like I meet my mom there in the mornings and it's just a nice way to start the day. So. That's awesome. Well, I just thought you handled the the whole process so beautifully with your family. And I don't know, your grace, your grace as a mom, which obviously you got so much of from your own mom, just came out in everything you were doing. And I just found it very powerful. And I, I think your children are blessed to have that in you. I will tell them that you said that. Okay, good. Maybe <laughs> I should you. tell them. <laughs> yeah. Jennifer, it is. Oh, it's been so lovely to talk to you today. It's been wonderful to talk with you, Elise. I'm a big fan of the Maximum Mom podcast. I hope everybody subscribes and follows. I think you're doing an amazing job of really telling, you know, the stories of so many interesting women out there who are, you know, navigating life and um, yes. and all doing the very best that we can. We are. Uh, it's a great journey. And it's a great yeah. journey to to do alongside other committed moms. So thank you for your leadership. Oh, absolutely. I just love it. I just think women are bad ass people. I've met so many fascinating people and the things they're able to accomplish. I mean, it's really staggering to me, actually. Yeah, it's very impressive. And I I feel that every time I listen to your podcast. So um, a real honor and privilege for me to get to spend time talking with you today. Yeah, well, I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And I know you have a lot of celebratory things coming up this week. Weekend, which are great and happy and then also bittersweet. And so I'm going to be thinking about you and your family. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And you have a wonderful rest of your day. Okay. You too. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.